Well, I had um, a lot of time prepared and scheduled out of the service to just share with you what uh, the Lord is speaking through the passage we're going to study this morning, but Melinda pretty much summed it up in one sentence, so we can, if you want to go home now, that's fine, but it's, uh, there's a lot more in there. No, I'm just joking. Um, last week, we celebrated Mother's Day, so we took a break out of 2 Corinthians, but I wanted to, um, there's a lot to go over this morning, this passage. So naturally, I wanted to back up and add some more, and so we're going to take a look back a couple weeks and just refresh our minds of where we are in this, in this letter to the church in Corinth and just uh, get inside the mind of, of Paul a little bit to wh- what he's trying to share with this church and, and ultimately to the church, to us. Um, that, you know, we get to share this message because the Word of God was recorded for us and we are able to be edified and encouraged and challenged through that, praise God. So, three weeks ago, I believe, um, Pastor Kurt was teaching out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, Paul was making the case that we should have this eternal perspective um, on our hearts at all times, that we should not be focused on earthly matters, but, but that we have this hope as believers, knowing that the trials and life in general, that everything that we encounter is temporal, and it all, if you remember, Paul says it pales in comparison. This affliction that we suffer pales in comparison to our eternal reward. Do we remember that? And then a couple weeks ago, Matt um, shared at the beginning of chapter 5, Matt, who we just got to see on video a couple times, Um, and just enjoying Israel with his son Micah and just learning. Um, He shared with us about um, how Paul starts off the chapter 5 with his longing to be at home with the Lord. Um, And and just knowing, because he has that hope, he he longs for that. He he knows that this is is not what's intended for him, this, this life that we live on earth. This is a temporal thing, and so he he longs to be at home in the Lord while knowing at the same time that he's got work to do, right? And he's, he ended in uh, chapter 5, verse 10. We're going to start there. Paul says, For we must all be appear before the tribunal of Christ, the judgment seat, right? So that each of us may be repaid for what he has done in body, whether good or worthless. So we we ended there. And so we have this challenge to, to view our lives in an eternal sense, the hope of what's to come, but the reality of a God who is going to judge. So that sets us up for where we are now. Verse 11. Therefore, because we know the fear of the Lord... Uh, some passages or some translations say because we have a, a, an awe or a reverence for the Lord. Because we know about all these things that we just talked about. We seek to persuade people. We're completely open before God. And I hope we are completely open to your conscience as well. He's telling the church, I hope you, you, you hear my heart. I hope you know where I'm coming from. 
We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in the outward appearance rather than in the heart. So he's like, I'm not trying to brag. I'm not trying to like, yeah, I've already, I've told you about my qualifications. I've told you like why I'm doing these things, why, why Christ has, has commanded me to do all these things. I'm not reminding you because I, I think you don't know these things and I want to get more, you know, attention for the things I've done. No, he's, he's just trying to impress upon them that, that this is a real faith that he's living. This isn't um, just something he's doing as a job. He's not doing this, you know, just to, to gain earthly rewards or accolades. He, he's just, he really wants them to know and to believe that what he has is a real, it's a real faith. And I think there's a distinction that needs to be made there. He talked about so that you can give an, out, an answer to those who, what? A reply to those who take pride in the outward appearance rather than in the heart. So Paul recognized already in the early church that there were those who believed in a, in a life-changing faith and there were those who would hijack the gospel, that would hijack Jesus for their own gain and to appear, you know, upstanding citizens, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. We see that a lot of, a lot of that in today's world. If you go on any social media, you will see many people who claim to be followers of Christ that would use it as just, you know, if you, if you have Jesus, then things are going to be good. It's, it's such a, they're using that temporal lens and just talking about this is only for, for today. This is only for now. That's not what, what Paul is talking about. He's talking about a real faith. Verse 13, he says, For if we are out of our mind, it is for God. And if we have a sound mind, it's for you. Every time I read verse 13, I think about a couple things. I, th I think of, uh, I'm too young to, to remember this, but I've seen the, the recordings on TV. I think of Beatlemania and the screaming, like fans just going absolutely nuts when they, they land in America and these people that are just literally insane to be able to see four people. But then I also think of myself, I'm a sports fan. There's a video that I'm not gonna share but there's a video, because I couldn't figure out how to download it, that's the reason, um, where actually Pastor Matt and I were at a baseball game, and it was a playoff game, and the Giants won, and I, he had me on video, and I'm just screaming my head off, because I was so excited that they won. And had you not known the setting, and you might think that at that moment, I might have been out of my mind. Possible. I'm not going to confirm or deny, but... Why would, why would people say that Paul was out of his mind? I mean, he's going from church to church and he's proclaiming the good news and he's encouraging them by writing letters. But what was his, what was his life like? He, he was the man who had it all. He was a Jewish leader. He had the prestige. He had the respect of the whole entire Jewish community. And what happened when he was pursuing that path 
the Lord Jesus called him to repentance and then called him to serve him and follow him. And his life got even better after that, right? No. No, his life by earthly standards was a literally a wreck, a literally a shipwreck multiple times. He, he uh, talks about it, I believe, later on in this, in this same uh, letter. Just shipwrecked three times, you know, lost at sea and beaten, stoned, just absolutely persecuted for the good news. And I can just envision a friend of his saying, dude, Paul, what are you doing? Like, take it easy a little bit. Like, lay low. Like, maybe sneak into the church at night and and like talk to them and then get out of there don't don't be so bold don't be so out there and paul says if i'm out of my mind and he's talking about not only him but those that are co-laborers with him it's for god and if we have a sound mind it's for you here's the reason why verse 14 for christ's love compels us since we've reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. What does that mean? That means we're all dead in our sin, and there needs to be a solution. There needs to be a way out. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised. Sometimes that's, that's, that's tough to understand in our, in our human understanding because we, we are so prone to think about ourselves and to think about what we want and what we need And Paul's just writing out that that's not what the Lord intends. It's not what Jesus intends. He didn't, God the Father didn't send his son to make a sacrifice for us just to get us out of the penalty. He's calling us to something else. We sang this morning that you've called me higher. You haven't called me to just sit around and to just... Um, be happy with where I am and to just live my best life. He died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. We, uh, in, in our, our worship team, we just started, literally two weeks ago, we just started um, this little devotion plan that, that we found. And uh, it's just a 52-week Thing, and it's just a couple verses and a thought and we have used that to just read that together pray about it challenge each other interestingly enough this this week's um, devotion had a quote from Elizabeth Elliot I think most of you know who she is if you don't I'll, I'll be quick um, her and her husband along with some others were missionaries down to South America um, Four of the, the men, her husband and one of them, Jim Elliott, were uh, killed by the tribe down there when they first tried to make contact. 
And Elizabeth Elliot um, didn't come back and just give up. Um, she ended up going back to that tribe and doing amazing work. Many came to, to know the Lord through her and others that went back, um, including one of the men who um, were part of um, murdering those men. Just an amazing story. An amazing story. She said this, the highest form of worship is obedience. It's uh, worship for me, you know, I lead music here, and, uh, you know, we, we, we go through and we try to find songs that, that talk about the truth of who God is, reveal his glory, encourage us to grow. And that's a really, um, it's really a fun task. We enjoy talking about it, the different members of the team, um, and... It's, a, it's, a, it's an encouraging, edifying process. And we get to, you know, sing with, with the rest of the church body. And we get to see the perspective of, of people singing and just lifting their hearts before the Lord. But that's not the end of worship, right? That's, that's just a tool, maybe, that God uses to prepare our hearts, to open us up. Maybe if we're a little closed off, there's... There is, um, it's a step in the process. But I love that quote of hers. And she's got, she's got the credibility just like Paul, you know. Paul can say these things because you can't question his, his dedication and devotion to the cause of Christ. You know, if it was just, if it was just the guys sitting in the back of, I'm going to be careful. <laughs> If it was just the guy at the, the market and he just came up and wrote this letter, it's like, look, this is how you got to live and this and that and just give it all for Christ, it'd be like, you know, who's this guy? But Paul's got the credibility because he has given himself up. He's denied himself to fall of Christ. And I would say that Elizabeth Elliot is, a, is another one of those people who followed the same path. He, he asked for obedience. He asked for self-denial. Because self-denial, or self-denial, sincerity is just not enough. We can, we can be as sincere as we want, but if we, we don't, um, if we aren't living a real faith, we can be as sincere as we want. It doesn't matter. We can sincerely believe that um, someone else is, is the real God, and that doesn't make it valid. We can believe there's no God. Sincerely, it's not enough. The Word of God reminds us in Jeremiah, because we can't, we, we can't trust ourselves for all the answers, because... Like Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable who can understand it. I don't know about you, I'm good at coming up with answers on my own and thinking that my plan or solution is, is right. And time and time again, those, uh, those plans might be uh, 
shown to be lacking. There was a real price that was paid for you and me. It's not, it's not a, just a, a story or an analogy. We're going to do something a little different. Um, we're going to take communion right now. And then we're going to continue um, exploring this passage. But I want to invite those who were um, volunteered to help serve. They're going to pass out the elements. Just stay where you are. We're going to do it like the old days, like we used to do back in the early 2000s. Or 1995. And they're going to be uh, passing out the elements All right. And so as they pass this out, thank you, Ron. You're welcome. So we're going to take communion here because this, this beginning part of this, this um, passage really focuses in on um, what, what our response is supposed to be. But I was just, we were just talking about sincerity and one of the things that happens in the human uh, experience that, that I know well is that we can have best intentions and we really want to, uh, let's say we're, you know, we've been a believer, let's say for many years, and we really want to obey God in this, what, you know, whatever he's challenged us in. I want you to do this for me and we have th these intentions. And then what do we do? Oftentimes, we start to forget, not forget what he asked us to do, but forget why it's even, um, why he has the right to tell us that. We, we forget who God is. It's not a mistake that we were commanded in the word of God to remember communion. We don't, we don't just do it once because we, we need to be constantly reminded of what Jesus went through. The, the life that he lived, the ministry that he had, the, the sinless, perfect life, the obedience that he modeled for us, the true life of worship. We need to be reminded of that so that we can keep the, the focus of Jesus and who he is to us and for us constantly on our minds.
Matthew 26 records for us these words as Jesus sat with his believers, his disciples, in the upper room before he would go and pay the penalty for, for the sin of mankind. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread. He blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood that establishes the covenant. It's shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, from this moment, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in a new way in my Father's kingdom with you. He's telling his believers for the first time about this representation. So we use, we're using a cracker this morning that represents his body. His body that was broken for you and me, beat, beaten, abused, and put up on the cross. So let's take this this representation, this cracker, let's take this bread and take it and eat in remembrance of him. And then let's take this cup that represents his blood that was spilled that replaced the old covenant, the temporal yearly sin offering that was made where the priest would have to go in and, and slaughter, put the blood on the, the mercy seat. Jesus, Jesus offers the symbol of the new covenant that is permanent. Let's take this cup and let's drink. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience to the Father, and we, we ask that you would remind us of who we are in you and who you are to us, the lengths that you would go to make a relationship possible. We thank you. Verse 16. So in light of this, from now on then, we do not know anyone in a purely human way. Even if we've known Christ in a purely human way, yet now we no longer know him this way. Remember, he's talking to people who could have actually known Jesus like in a human way. Therefore, if anyone is... is, is, is Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Everything is from God, who, is, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. So we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There's a lot there to unpack. They're not. It is so hard for me to view people in an eternal mind, eternal perspective. I see people and I see, even including myself, I see what I am, I see this body, I see maybe what I do, I see what other people do, and, and I, it's, it's really hard sometimes to view people the way we're asked to see us, and this is the way that Christ views us. If he didn't view us that way, if all he viewed was our sin and our ugliness, where would we be? We know where we would be. We'd be completely separated from God. But that's not the heart of God. Praise God. So in light of all this stuff Paul's saying, the fact that we're new in Christ and we have been given this message of hope that we, we've responded to, if you, if you are a believer in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you've been given that gift, you know your future is secure, you are looking forward, some more than others, and I don't mean that as a joke, but you're looking forward to your heavenly reward. And how is it that we can be in that mindset and not care if someone hears that message? How can we truly believe what Christ has done for us and think that this doesn't matter for this person over here because somehow maybe their sin is more offensive than mine. Maybe it's a lack of faith. We don't believe that God can change their heart. Maybe we're just apathetic and we don't care and we want to be comfortable. This has been a challenging passage for me because this is not an ambiguous Directive. This command is clear. We're Christ's ambassadors. Paul says we're certain that God is appealing through us and we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's not, to, that's not what we're saying to other believers necessarily. That's, that's to the world who doesn't know God. So, What does that mean? Does that mean that we can, does that mean that the goal is to just like, I'm gonna be really nice to people and then hopefully after maybe a couple months of me being nice to them, they'll be like, man, you're a really nice guy. Like, what's the deal? I was like, well, I'm really nice because I go to this church and there's this guy, Kurt, that comes up and he talks and he, 
he, man, he says some amazing things that the Word of God teaches, and you should come listen to him. And then I'm going to continue to be nice to that person, and maybe one day Kurt will lead him to Christ. Is that what God has called us to? God has put us in circles for a reason. I was watching the, the different volunteers that helped pass out communion, and I was just trying to take an account of their, their lives, what they've been through, the trials and, and hardships. And, and I'll be honest, I didn't see any easy lives. I saw some, some really difficult stories. I saw past pain and hurt and just but then I you know what has God done through them the new creation that they are now what what a miracle we all have different skills and abilities some of us are better talking with just a stranger than, you know, some, some of us could never do that. Some, some of us could just walk right up to somebody and just, you know, how's it going? Like, let's, uh, let's talk about Jesus right now. And we have different, <laughs> you say Maluli? Nice. And so we've been given gifts that the Holy Spirit has given us whether it's communication, you know, we have, we have encouragement. Some people are good at administration. Some people clean, clean up behind the scenes. Some people play a guitar or sing up front. Some people run media in the back. Some people write letters. There's so many different ways that the body is used cohesively. But the body is, is like your role in the body is part of the is part of your role as a believer we all have have the message of the gospel and we are all called to honor the lord by sharing that First Peter 3.15, well-known passage. It says, But honor the Messiah and Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense for anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. Show of hands real quick. How many people have clearly heard the Holy Spirit encouraging you to talk to a specific person and you completely drop the ball so that happens that happens a lot but God is so gracious but let's not take that for granted God has put each one of us in different people's lives for a reason because we have the hope of the Lord they do not and they need to hear the message of the gospel. It's literally as simple as that. And we struggle with that, and I get that. I'm right there. It is hard. I have a 
coworker, and we have lots of conversations. We've been working together for many, many years. And it's still hard for me, even though I've shared the gospel with him, it's still hard to do it because I, I've, I, I almost, I've been so conditioned with rejection that it's almost like, do I believe that the Holy Spirit can work here? And that's a real heart check for me. And I, I believe that that's probably something that a lot of people can relate, relate to. The last verse in chapter 5. One of the greatest single verses in the, in the Word of God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He, God, made the one, Jesus, who did not know sin to be sin for us. Does that mean Jesus is a sinner? Did he, did he become a sinner? No. He bore the weight of our sin. That is a huge weight. The weight of our own sin deserves death. But the weight of mankind all on one person and not only that, but the, I don't know the theological term. Pastor Jeff, I think I saw him somewhere. Maybe he can tell you afterwards. I'm, it's losing my mind. I think it's substitution. Maybe that's right. Is he, That has replaced our sinful penalty, the wages of sin, death, what we deserve, is taken away because of the work on the cross and replaced with the righteousness of Christ so that God can see us and when he sees us, he sees his son. That is a miracle that we can't overlook, that we can't dismiss. If you've listened this far and you don't know who Jesus is and you don't have a relationship with him, and maybe all this has made no sense to you. I want to just take a little bit of time. Is that right, Don? Good. Okay. <laughs> and I just want to, as quickly as possible, just lay out this gospel, this good news that we're talking about. The Bible tells us that God is holy, set apart, and he's righteous. He's perfectly good. And that he created this. He's created the world and man and animals and plants. He, he, the day and the night, he, he's in control of it all. And the word God says that he sustains it by the power of his word. There is no, there is no sin, no hint of any de deceit in him. He is perfect. And when he created man and woman from man, he gave them a garden. He gave Adam and Eve this garden. And he said, all this is for you. I love you. I'm going to spend time with you. We're going to spend time walking in the garden. 
but this one fruit you are not allowed to eat. If you eat this fruit, you're going to die. So everything else, fair game, this one thing, just don't do it. And the Bible tells us that the enemy came to Eve and convinced her to convince Adam, let's, let's go ahead and eat that. You're not really going to die. I mean, come on. He loves you, right? Like, he's not really going to kill you if you eat this fruit. And they did. And the Bible records that they, they became aware of their, their nakedness. They were ashamed and God was looking for them and he finally finds them and is like, what did you do? The, the, right, right off the bat, God reveals his, his patience with, with man because he told him he would, they would die and they didn't die right away, right? But he told him because of this, sin is going to be passed down through your line. Adam, every man born through natural birth for the history of mankind will be born under the curse of sin. So that's all of us. But, of course, God had a plan of redemption. He promised a Messiah would come and make his people whole again. And Jesus was born, and he was born of a virgin birth. And why does that matter? That matters because he was not born under the curse of sin. If he was born just like a regular person, he would still be under that curse, but he was not. He lived a, a sinless life, tempted in every way, the Word of God tells us. He experienced what we experienced, yet didn't sin. He died according to the, the prophecy of the Scriptures and rose on the third day. His death was the atonement for our sin, and his resurrection Prove that he defeated death and that we would have eternal life through him. And that's what he offers. That's what he offered to any of us who have already received Jesus. It is an incomparable gift. And he did it all for the love of his, his creation. His patience and his grace are evidence in the world around us. That doesn't sound right, does it? But it really is. The very fact that any of us who are sinners are even allowed to breathe is proof. God had his son die for us, and the word of God tells us it was while we were still sinners. It wasn't once we got right. See, the, the wages of sin are death, but he waits. He waits for us. I don't have that kind of love. I'm just going to be straight as I can. There's a lot of brave men and women throughout history that have sacrificed their lives for various causes, whether it's for Christ, whether it's for their country or, you know, their family, 
whatever the case may be. But I don't know any of those would make that sacrifice, not with themselves, but with their own child, their only child. I know I'm not there. I mean, I've, I've lost a child. And, and if I'm going to be completely honest, I'd give up any one of you for him. That's just because I don't have the heart that God has. And when I think about that, when I, when I really just ponder that, that's the proof that I need that this is a God that I can serve because his love is so overwhelming. It is so deep and so wide. What's the appropriate response to this? It's obedience for the believer. And if you don't know Christ, it's repentance. Answering this this call to the gospel. I just want to say this. I'm going to wrap up and we're going to pray. If you don't know who Jesus is, I'm going to be up front after the service. I'll be right over here. I would love to talk to you. Maybe if a couple of the members of the prayer team or elders would maybe be around too. I would just hate, if you don't know who Christ is, I would hate for you to miss this opportunity to answer the call of a God who loves you enough to send his own son to pay the penalty for the sin so that you don't receive the penalty that you deserve, that I deserve, that each of us deserve, but instead receive the righteousness of Christ and the gift of eternal life with him. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your obedience to the Father's will and that because of that we have the opportunity to have a relationship, a right relationship with you. God, it's a, uh, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know that there may be some in this room that are really struggling with how to, to be that, that ambassador for you. God, I just pray that you would just give us the words that we need in the, in the people, with the people in our lives that we would boldly, unashamedly share this gift. This uncomparable gift that you've given us. God, go with us as we seek to honor you with our lives, as we worship you, we praise you, in your name, amen. Amen.